0: This is the Kineo Equipping Podcast. Welcome to week three of the Biblical Teaching Lab. And uh, once again, this week our audio kind of got messed up. And so I'm recording this after the, the third class session. Um, and for this session, we're going to be talking about applications. So uh, we looked at the importance of understanding the historical and literary context. Uh, we've talked about finding the overarching theological purpose of the text, and consulting the biblical map, uh, and so an in absor- in, in observation and an in interpretation. And now today, we're going to be talking about bringing it all together and crossing that principalizing bridge and applying the text to our town, all right? And so first, what, what we want to ask before I even get into talking about application, uh, I just want to want to quickly answer the question, why do we want to know how to study God's Word and teach it faithfully? Why do we want to know how to study God's Word and teach it faithfully? And the answer to that, uh, we have to look to the Bible for our answer for that. And I think one of the best verses to answer that question is Colossians 1.28. And it says this, it says, "...him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom." And here's why. Here's why we warn and here's why we teach, "...that we may present everyone mature in Christ." Our goal in understanding the Bible and knowing what it says, understanding what it says in its historical, literary context, and getting a right interpretation of the text, and then figuring out how to apply it to people's lives, and and we'll get to uh, whose life it's most important to apply to first here in just a second, but the reason we want to do all of this, why do we want to know how to study God's Word and teach it faithfully? It's so that we can present everyone mature in Christ, and so as we talk about teaching application, uh, or or another way to put it is contextualization. And if you remember from I think it was I think it was week one, uh, contextualization quite simply is communicating in ways that are understandable and appropriate to the listener's context. It's communicating in ways that are understandable and appropriate to the listener's context. So we first need to understand what the text meant in the original audience's context. And then we need to take that understanding, cross the principalizing bridge, and apply that text and bring it into our context today. And so... Just a few things here uh, for the purpose of um, of kind of introduction, I'd say, is that uh, the teachers of the Bible, like as we teach the Bible, uh, we are there for the purpose of serving the listeners. Like our primary purpose, as we get in front of people to teach them the Bible, isn't so that we could express some gifting we have or uh, grow in popularity or whatever that is. It's so that we can be servants of our listeners and and I'd say it this way exegetical and theological discipline ultimately exists to serve the people we are leading and teaching I'll say that again exegetical and theological discipline ultimately exists to serve the people we are leading and and, and I really emphasize that because it can be so Uh, The the, the temptation can be so easy, like we don't want to let our hands off the steering wheel here as it relates to continuing to remind us the purpose for which we are teaching the Bible. It's so that we can serve the people that we are leading and teaching. And so as we talk about applying the scriptures, we first have to, uh, we have to understand that application must begin with us. Application must begin with us as the teacher. And I I love this Tim Tim Keller quote. He says, ultimately, God is more interested in developing messengers than messages. And because the Holy Spirit confronts us primarily through the Bible, we must learn to listen to God before speaking for God. We need to learn to listen to God before speaking for God. For God. And it's really important that we understand that ultimately God is more interested in developing messengers than messages because what can happen if we don't first seek to apply the text to our own life. It's so easy for us to read the text only with, oh, this would be great for so-and-so to hear this, or this would be great for so-and-so to hear this, or it would be great if somebody else applied this text to their life. And the problem could be, if we're not careful, that we as teachers could be a hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. And more than that, it could be so dangerous because we could be calling other people to to embrace truths, to do things, to to see truths as uh, as beautiful and valuable, but we ourselves don't actually see it that way. And so we first have to understand that application must begin with us. And so as we get into talking about um, application I just I just want to preface it with some of these reminders of the purpose of why uh, we teach uh, is to present uh, everyone mature in Christ and then we must also uh, we must also learn to apply our text, to our own lives, let it let it sink deep within our own heart and within our own mind before we think we can get up in, in any sort of compelling or, or believable way. Uh, call others to see something as beautiful uh, if if we haven't seen it as beautiful ourselves. Honestly, a lot you you could go a while pretending that, but after a while people aren't stupid they're going to see they're going to see that that there's an actor in the pulpit let's say it that way and what we we don't need actors in the pulpit what we need or are or actors on the stage what we need are people who have been deeply affected And deeply changed by the word of God, getting up in front of other people, saying, here's where I've been, here's what I've seen, come along with me and let's change together. Here's how I have met God and how this has affected me in deep and beautiful ways. And so application must begin with us. So let's get into it. Three questions for application. All right. Three questions for application. The first question, what does this passage teach me about God? What does this passage teach me about God? Because here's the reality. The Bible is a book about God, not about me. Primarily, the Bible is a book about God and not about me. And and a lot of times, uh, maybe you or maybe me or or people can read the Bible thinking, oh, where, where am I in this story? Or, or how how am I like David? Or how am I like this person? Or how am I like that? Or how can I? How do I identify with this? And what does this have to say about me and who I am? And what what, what we first need to ask is, what does this passage teach me about God? God is the primary subject of the Bible, and then we need to ask, how does this aspect? Of God's character change my view about people. And so it's not that we never ask the question, what does this mean for me? But it's that we first ask the question, what does this passage teach me about God? And then from there, how does this aspect of God's character change my view about people? Both my view of myself and my view of others. So first question, what does this passage teach me about God? Second question, how does this aspect of God's character change my view about people and then our third question as it relates to application what should I do in response to these truths what should I do in response to these truths sometimes it's very clear because God is like this and because people are like this therefore we should do this very practical like like tangible like do it with your hands like change this thing about your life sometimes it's a it's a change of mindset. Sometimes the, the, the best application to a scripture could simply be like like fall on your face and worship this great God as we see ourselves in light of this great God as so other than this great God of so much lower than this great God as he's been elevated and lifted high before our eyes that our, our simple response is worship. Like that could be a response to change the way that I view about that I view myself and to change the way that I view God and to worship God, that could be a response. Or it may be more tangible than that. And so, uh, what do what does this passage teach me about God? What is this? How does this aspect of God's character change my view about people? And what should I do in response? All right. So moving on here, uh, we need to remember that as we as we seek to teach the Bible, as we seek to understand it, as, and as we seek to apply it, doctrines must be taught practically and duties must be taught doctrinally. All right, I'll say that again. Doctrines must be taught practically, and duties must be taught doctrinally. And here's what I mean by that. Doctrines, so teachings about God, must we must help people see how these teachings manifest themselves on the ground level. They must be taught practically, because otherwise, if we only... If we only seek to cultivate the life of the mind, which is a great thing, it's a necessary thing, it needs to start there. But if we, if we only cultivate the life of the mind and never help people know how that should affect their lives at a day-to-day, real practical, on-the-ground level, then then they're then they're going to miss it. We're just going to be a bunch of people that know a whole lot of things about God, but it never actually changes their lives. The Pharisees were exactly this way. the The truth that they knew didn't affect. Who they actually were, and so doctrines must be taught practically, and duties must be taught doctrinally. And so, on the other side of this coin, uh, it could be easy to to be so application focused, so so movement oriented, so um, so action step oriented that we simply try to get people to do things or to change things, and they don't actually know biblically why they're why they should change. Or why they should do something different or why they should think a different way. And, and, and so we need to ask the question, why? Like, like, why do I need to do this and have, uh, have reasons from Scripture, have, have doctrinal reasons for the way that we live our lives? Uh, some ways to say this would be that orthodoxy informs orthopraxy. Orthodoxy, what we believe informs orthopraxy, what we do. So what we believe informs what we do. This is kind of that head, heart, hands journey that we want to take people on. We want to we want to speak to the heart through the head so that then it will manifest itself through our hands. So we want to speak to speak to the heart through the head so that it'll manifest itself in actions. And here's the reality. A lot of times we think that uh, that what we believe is what we think. But the reality is that what, what we actually believe is what we do. Like if you want to know what what does somebody actually believe, just look at what they do. And this is why it's so important that we that we actually take time to think through how this text plays itself out in, in uh, I'll, I'll say practical application. All right, um, we want to think through how this text actually plays itself out because the reality is if 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 somebody says they believe something but they live a totally different way. They don't actually believe it. They know it, but they don't believe it. And so what what we want to do as best we can is to show them the truth of the scripture. Trust God that he'll penetrate their heart and through the Holy Spirit change their change their minds and change their hearts and change their actions because what we because we do what we actually believe. And so we don't just want people to know things. We want them to truly believe things in such a way that that belief uh, plays itself out in their actual life. All right. So, how do we do this? How do we help people uh, do this? So, first, we want to observe how the principles in, in the text address the original situation. So, again, we're we're kind of drawing back on our observation and our interpretation, and we want to see how how do the principles in this text address the original situation. So, how would the original audience have applied this to their to their lives? All right. And so then we want, to, we want to discover a parallel situation in, in the contemporary context. So though, though we are far removed in our culture and in our, in our experiences and in our language and in so many ways, like is, there, is, there a, a, is that overarching principle, uh, is there a parallel situation that we can see in our contemporary context? And so we want to identify a parallel situation in the contemporary context and then we want to make our applications specific, and and if you're looking through, uh, if you see my my PDF of the keynote here for this uh, for this class section, you're going to see uh, next to make your application specific, I put an asterisk there, and, and here's what I mean: the asterisk here is to be as specific as you can, without creating an over without creating overly exclusive lists. Of possible applications, and, and here's what I mean: uh, make your make your application as specific as the text allows you to make it. All right. And so sometimes what can happen is that in our in our desire to be specific in our application, we can create lists of ways that someone could apply this to their life. Um, and sometimes uh, what can come across, and we don't intend for it to come across this way, but what can come across is that uh, in making a list. Um, it could be easy to think uh, that that these are the only ways to apply this text to our life. And so what we want to do is we want to be laser focused and specific concerning the root issue and then broaden it it out to address the fruit issues, as it were. And so what we want to do is we want to show people the root issue of what the text is saying and how to apply it to their life, like root causes, um, that will then manifest itself in, in a bunch of different ways. And so one way to do this, honestly, while you're teaching is to say, um, as we've seen in the text, uh, th- this could apply to our lives in a couple different ways. Now, these aren't the only ways. One, it, It's good to kind of strain if you're going to use a list and if you're going to be super hyper specific in how to apply it, uh, make sure that you help your audience know that that these aren't exclusively the only ways that they can apply it we 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 want to be very very specific uh in how we communicate that and so how how can we be specific in our application all right first how, how can we be specific in our application first consider your audience consider your audience and so who you are speaking to will determine the way you help your audience know how to apply it to their lives, right? So like if you're teaching to a, a group of middle schoolers, um, that you're going to think through how to apply the text to their lives in a different way than you do if you're speaking to, uh, say, on a Sunday morning to a broad group of people um, or to, uh, let's say, to college students. The, the difference between a middle schooler and a college student, you have to consider their their specific culture, their specific situations, things that they uh, come in contact with, questions that they might ask or uh, uh, circumstances that they're struggling with, the struggles of a middle schooler um, in, in in some ways is different than college students and in other ways it's not, but still consider your audience. And so the next one, the next way that we can be specific in our application is um To press for clarity in the organization of your thoughts and material. So, press for clarity in the organization of your thoughts and your material, and keep the application today rooted in the primary application present. In the text, all right. Keep your application today rooted in the primary application present in the text. Uh, that we have to, even as we bring it into our town, to not just to not just leave their town and their context and their situation and, and that culture behind, but continue to be pushing people back into their text. Uh, and so, um, another way to keep your application specific is uh, even while you're considering your considering your audience. Consider what subsets of people make up your general audience. And this will generally be determined by the size of the group. And so a connection group will have less subsets than a Sunday morning. Like I said, like a Sunday morning context, you have a broad audience of various ages, of various uh, life circumstances, various socioeconomic Um uh, Ranges are represented, and so to think through, you you have you have believers, you have unbelievers, you have moms and dads, you have single people, you have kids, possibly, you have college students, like like a broad range. And so, even as you think through how to be specific in your application, try to identify a couple different subsets of your audience that you want to speak directly to. Like like help the help the stay-at-home mom know how does this apply to your life. Help the John Deere engineer know how does this how does this apply to his life when he goes to work? Help the college students know how does how does this apply to their life when they go to class or when they go home for the summer. Help the help the child know how does this passage affect my life as I'm under the authority of my parents in the home. Like like help those different subsets know how to apply it to their life. All right. And so Uh, The last thing, what we want to do is we want to choose, as we're choosing the possible applications uh, for this text, possible, specific applications of how this can play out in the lives of people, um, we want to choose the applications that are most closely related to the theological principle in the text. Okay, that are most closely related to the theological principle in the text. Because a lot of times what will happen is that um, there can be a broad range of applications. We can think of a lot of different ways that this might play itself out. Um, and sometimes the applications that we'll present, uh, we might really like a way that this could apply in someone's life, but it's not. It, you have to kind of stretch and you have to kind of do backflips a little bit to get to get it there, right? Like, so, um, a, a quote from the, I believe it was the Robinson reading for this week. It, he said that the further away a rung is on a ladder, the more foolish it is to reach for it. The further away a rung is on a ladder, the more foolish it is to reach for it. And so what this means is that if you really have to strain and you really have to do some some interesting gymnastics to start talking about a way to apply this to your life, uh and you find yourself reaching like it's probably safer to to uh, think of an app, to to reach for an application that's closer to the theological principle of your text, right? And so uh, I'll I'll maybe use a silly example here, but think of First Corinthians thirteen. First Corinthians thirteen, this kind of like um like like the big passage on love, right? Like Christian love within the body of Christ. Okay, one way. Uh, within the broader context of the Corinthian church uh, another issue with the Corinthians was sexual purity okay and so one of the things you could one one application you could have is that uh, one of the greatest way ways to love your brothers and sisters in Christ is to is to act in such a way uh, in your interactions with each other that you are sexually pure and honoring each other in your sexuality uh, and and you kind of get more into that in I believe it's uh, chapter 15 and 16 but um, but what you could make that application, and then you could just go off in in kind of a rant on sexual purity. When really, what First Corinthians thirteen is doing is it's connecting. 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 as it relates to the expression of spiritual gifts within the body. Not, it's not specifically addressing their issue with sexual impurity, though the Corinthians certainly had that, and that's certainly a main point of the text uh, for another message at a different point in the text. But 1 Corinthians 13 is, is binding together the, the overarching and the, the highest spiritual gift you can attain to, and that is love. Because they were overemphasizing, uh, particularly uh, speaking in tongues and and prophecy, particularly in the gathering of the local church, and so uh, so this this chapter thirteen is specifically talking about the highest spiritual gift that you can uh, attain for and strive for, and that is love. That love is is overarching over every other spiritual gift. Now, sure, a way to love. Others in the body of Christ is to act in an honorable way as it relates to uh, as a, as it ways to as it relates to sexual purity, but that's not the main focus of the text. And so that possible application is a far rung on that ladder. So so don't spend your time reaching for rungs just because you really like talking about sexual purity or really like talking about this particular sin or this or even this particular like theological. Um, interesting thing, uh, it can be really easy, you know, sometimes for people who are really excited about missions, they can read every text as being about global missions, and it's like, that's great, like like God is a God of the nations, but we can't just be reaching for every missions rung and think that that's the main point of every text, and so what we want to do is keep the application today rooted in the primary application present in the text. Once again, the further away a rung is on a ladder, the more foolish it is to reach for it. And so one of the things that we did in our in our teaching groups uh, in the discussion is we asked these two questions, and, and they got in their groups, and they asked these two questions about their text. The first question was, based on your observation and interpretation, what is the theological principle of your text? What is that overarching theological principle that, that could that uh, could could be applied to their town and could also be applied to their town or to our town, uh, and and we could see parallel situations because there's an overarching theological principle. So that was the first one, based on your observation and interpretation. What is the theological principle of your text? And the second one is what kind of applications for our day emerge from that purpose? And so again, discovering those parallel situations that even though that even though this was 2,000 years ago. Uh, What is based on this theological principle? What is a parallel situation today? And what kind of applications for our day emerge from that principle and from that purpose? And so uh, thanks so much for listening. Next week, we're going to turn the corner and we're going to talk about crafting a big idea. So how do we create... A one sentence, you could call it a through line, that kind of uh, that kind of sits above our message here and is, is the main point of the text. And we're going to talk about finding the subject and finding the complement. I hope you listened to session four and uh, thanks so much for listening. We've had a great time and I've really enjoyed uh, getting to teach this class and getting to see uh, how these teaching groups have really really dived into their texts and are continuing to seek to apply observation, interpretation, now this week application. And next week, we're going to turn the corner into homiletics, how to begin crafting a message uh, in a way that makes sense and is helpful and understandable to the people who are listening.